today on two halves and four quarters podcast we're going to be talking about goals 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 as the premier league well reigns goals we're going to be talking about the handball rule and just how ridiculous that's going to well that remains and we're going to talk about fans and stadiums and when the hell that's going to be happening Today on Two Halves and Four Quarters podcast, we're going to be talking about goals, goals, goals as the Premier League, well, reigns goals. We're going to be talking about the handball rule and just how ridiculous that's going to, well, that remains. And we're going to talk about fans and stadiums and when the hell that's going to be happening. So, unfortunately, JK ducked out early. Uh, so, it's just myself and Kyle on, on the pod today. So, good evening, Carl. Good evening, good evening. Looking forward to this. Looking forward to discussing the crazy week that has been the Premier League and goals, goals, goals. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a choice of this or watching the England-Wales game. And nothing beats um, a friendly in a global pandemic. So, here we are. (laughs) In an empty Wembley stadium. (laughs) Yeah, which is exactly what the uh, the FA wants, is to play lucrative friendlies in empty stadiums. It's a dream. It's a dream come true for them, I'm telling you. I, I right now, whilst this pandemic is going on, I don't honestly see the point in internationals. Well, like international friendlies. Don't see the point of it. I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. I don't see what, what any, any benefit is... Apart from Calvert-Lewin uh, scoring, that's, that's about it, really. So, I guess... Like, yeah. I get... Carry on. I get the European Championships playing their Nation League's um, playoffs, because they need to make, get the people in from Nation's League, but I don't see the point in friendlies when all you have is Premier League managers moaning, or managers moaning saying, our players are playing too many games. So what do we do? Let's throw in some friendlies. Well, what's better than making a congested fixture list already uh, in increasingly more congested? Perfect. Everyone That's wins. the FA bright spark way of thinking. Apart from Lewis Dunk, who's definitely not a winner because Southgate is continues to ignore the brilliance of England's best centre back. So, I wouldn't. Uh, looking at England's centre backs over the past couple of weeks. I wouldn't disagree with you. <laughs> it's a hot take. It's a hot take. Well, so, I think that's I guess, a good way to lead into what we're about to talk about. Exactly. Um, as, well, hopefully all of our listeners are well, well aware, there have been some plenty of large and, I guess, shocking scorelines recently capped off this weekend with uh, Man United 1, Tottenham 6. Aston Villa 7, Liverpool 2, and Everton 4, Brighton 2. Uh, you know, the I guess the defining <laughs> factor of all <laughs> I guess the defining factor of all these these games is the, the sheer volume of goals. I mean, for one, we're approaching well, we're on course to smash the the record goals in a season total by by quite oh, some fast. distance. Um, and I guess really the question is, I guess why? I think it's, I for one, turned on the, uh, so I didn't watch, I, I watched I watched the Tottenham game, I didn't watch the Liverpool game, really upset about that, 
ended up playing Call of Duty with a group of friends, whilst one of our friends was telling us to score as he was watching it online. Um, and I watched it, I turned on, and I was like, oh, it's 1-0 Man United after like two minutes. I was like, what the hell is happening here? Goes my wife, she's like, oh, Man United are winning. Could it actually turn around? Oh, no, it's 1-0 now. Oh, it's 2-1 now. Oh, it's 3-1, it's 4-1. She's like, well, standard Man United doing well then. <laughs> but I think it's... Um, I, I just, I've just said this for a while. It's like teams now, when they play, which is great for the neutral, they're just set up to attack, attack, attack. Even their defenders are set up to attack. Mm. You know, nowadays, I think so. I don't, I don't agree with people when they say, oh, it's because there's no fans in the stadiums, the players aren't like, they're not really motivated. But I, I think it's the opposite. I think without fans in the stadiums, some players feel that pressure off them so no one on them consistently if I make a mistake you haven't got 60,000 fans just moaning at you well but so, sorry I watched, March I watched some so, sorry March is the key beneficiary actually. well from, from from games I've seen so far sorry March is a bit of a um, yeah he, he wilts in front of in front of fans and he is arguably one of our best performers this season I think we think without question, and I realise that when I when I reference those three scores there, I actually think that United are the anomaly in this, whereby that they got battered by Palace, they got battered by us, and they should have lost that game with, without question, and they got battered by Tottenham. So I, I, I think maybe in the anomaly of, of of things, they that stands out as a as an outlier. I mean the Liverpool one. You look at some of those goals, and the one of the ones well, I think three, it was the seventh, three were deflections, weren't they? Yeah, and I don't think that necessarily like, happens. In you could you could replay that game a hundred times, and you wouldn't get the scoreline probably no. once. This is one in a hundred, one in a hundred chances. That um, I think it's the fourth uh, the, or the seventh Jack, the seventh was Jack Wilshere's goal with a massive really, deflection yeah. from I think it was Wijnaldum. Jack- Jack Wilshire. Oh well, uh, not Jack Wilshire. What am I saying? Jack Greenish. <laughs> I've, obviously, I've obviously got Wilshire in my mind. The poor guy being being released from from West Ham. Jack Wilshire without a club. Yeah. I mean, it's hardly. I mean, side note to this, that's hardly surprising, is it? Well, apparently, on his way to Rangers. <laughs> I mean, the, really, really. Why would why would anyone be crazy uh, to give that man money to play football without a pay pay to play deal? I don't know, but because it's going slightly off tangent. This is Rangers who will who've already once gone bust, who are pretty much on the verge of going bust again. So why not throw more money at someone? Mm. But um, <laughs> I'd love to see. It. I think I'd love to see their finances compared to Donald Trump's. <laughs> who who would release their tax? Who will release their tax returns first? That's the I'll question. I'll take. I'll take. Uh, but no, going back to the um, going back to the, the the goals and like I say, with the goals going in, obviously, you can, like you you go back to that Liverpool game where, like I say, those goals that the deflections they they don't go in again. Like the first goal by um, uh, Ollie Watkins, great finish. Like that ball across his body and then hits the top corner. I like, people like Liverpool fans will argue we didn't have Allison in goal, but I think a lot of them is the defending has just was so bad. Mm. I 
was so bad. And you look at that United game. This, this is where I talk about United. Obviously, I know we're going to talk about specific games. But I had this conversation with someone previously. I think it might actually be my wife talking about Man United with. <laughs> and um, you look at Man United players now. Com- compare them to the teams of like 10 years ago, especially with Patrice Evra, who's obviously on Sky, who's crying, which is quite funny. Um, these Man United players, they've got in defence. And the, in the team they have don't have the mental strength to play for a team like Man United. Mm-hmm. Man United now, I'd say, are your could become a mid-table team if they're not careful. Right, they're an AC Milan of sorts. They're a, they're a fallen giant. Yeah, like you look at and you look at their transfer business. You know, you need to sort out that back four. They've signed that left back Tellez, but no one knows how he's going to do in the Premier League. I, for one, think Shaw's okay, but Harry Maguire, I think he tackles his own players more when he tackles your position. Well, would you? The one thing I would say that they maybe people haven't necessarily addressed is the side that he played in at Leicester and the side he played in at United are two play two very different styles of football. Yeah, and the Leicester side was you know primarily sitting deeper and inviting attacking teams to come onto them to explode on the counter. So the the frailties in his game weren't exposed to the same degree. So his lack of yeah. ability, his lack of pace becomes less of a problem because naturally the team is more compact and there's less space for quicker players to operate in and around him. At United, yeah, they're I've... supposed to be this quick counter-attacking team that, that play with a little more space, he's playing a higher line. His frailties are being exposed. I think the problem is I think he's making mistakes. I think a lot of Premier League players are making mistakes. But Sunday League players and, and grassroots semi-pro players make, mm-hmm. where it's lack of concentration, lack of awareness. Um, and I think as well, as like I go back to the mentality thing, I don't think a lot of the players have the mentality to play for these teams. Like, and I think you... Like, <laughs> You compare a player like Harry Maguire to a Vidic, he, yeah. he wouldn't get near. He wouldn't get near Vidic or Ferdinand or Palace or Bruce. Look at the team that won the, the United treble, and even the team. What the last team to win the Premier League for United? What two thousand and thirteen wasn't it? Mm. Two thousand thirteen, and that you know, I don't think many people at United team now will get into that United team back then. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I. But I think going to the defending, I think, and I had this conversation, it's like, I get, I get this when I coach kids. No one wants to play in defence. Okay, so yes. when you coach kids, no one plays in defence, everyone scored goals. And I think that's how teams set up now. It's like, everyone wants to be so aggressive in their play. You look at Man City, their fullbacks, especially against Leeds. Kyle Walker bombing down, Benjamin Mendy bombing down, but balls over the top of them, they don't know how to handle. So they all want to go forward. So they don't want to defend. They don't take the pride in defending and um, you, you compare it to I remember I saw a video once I think it was of PSG and it was Thiago Silva and Marquinhos and they shuffled the ball out two of them together shuffled the ball out the pitch and they chest bumped with each other so they were so proud of themselves of stopping someone getting across in and they, they took pride in a clean sheet now though teams are like we want the ball all the time we want to, we want to play out from the back and it's great playing out for the back, but your main job as a defender is to stop goals coming in. 
Not to not to give Lewis Dunk even more credit here, but that is a man who <laughs> likes not conceding goals. He would throw yeah. his body on the line. Gareth Southgate, actually, you know, pick up the phone, mate. It's not too late. It's not too late. You want you just want a defender who's going to know they're going to, like you said, put their body on the line and not let that ball go anywhere near anywhere yeah. near their keeper. We can all say how calamity David De Gea has been right in recent times. But in a good team, half of those shots against him don't happen because they'll stop yeah. the shot coming in. Like you, saw, I think it was a Tottenham game, but after lockdown happened, they drew one all, and it was that Bergwijn hit straight at him. But Harry Maguire was so far away from him when he received it, they got turned inside yeah. out. So they don't take pride in defending. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong, and people will think like, "Oh, it's 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 great to watch. I'd love seeing the goals mm-hmm. go in. I think it's great." And I did win twenty quid on the Tottenham game as well, so I was quite <laughs> happy with that. Um, but I think it's defending. I've just been watching. I've been like, "These are not Premier League. Def- these are not quality defending." Well, let's flip the script. Here. Not quality defending. Let's flip the script here. Okay. Has the attacking been so good? Well, last season. How many hat tricks do you think there were across the entire season in the Premier League? Yeah, remember, remember, this is a this is an audio podcast, so silence is definite. <laughs> I'm bringing, I'm, I'm, I'm being silent to add suspense, and it also hurts to think. Uh, <laughs> I would say thirteen, nine. How many do you think have been scored already this season? Oh, I saw this. Wasn't it six? There's been five hat tricks already this season. We, we if, if it carries on the rate, then we're, we're four game weeks in. We are on, we are on course to absolutely smash the the, the hat trick total and the goals total. And I do what, wonder what would you whether put that down to. Well, I think say. There's, there's some, again, there's, there are some outliers here where there are players that are naturally worse scoring hat-tricks regularly in the Premier League anyway, or scoring buckets of goals anyway, be that Vardy, Salah were, were banging in goals. I think so. Calvert-Lewins can be attributed to the, the style of play that Everton are now playing. Where they, whereby the they conf- are getting, I think, the, like you say, the confidence Everton are playing with at the moment yeah. as well. Yeah, and he's he's kind of playing that one touch kind of football. But I think the lack of fans is directly contributing to yeah performances. You know, it, it you play, players are prepared to take a risk on things that they otherwise wouldn't because they know that there's not going to be the fat twat behind the goal. Screaming at them, so, so yeah, they can, they can afford to take the risk if it doesn't come off. You know, you again, we're going back to Solly March here. He's he's someone who, okay, is probably a high end championship player, certainly not necessarily a Premier League of a Premier League standard. And nice. he's he's someone who's thriving, but why? Because he's not getting the groans and the heckles from, from the sidelines. I'd agree with that. I think it's. I think it's like you say. Their teams now are, like you said, they're playing with a bit of confidence. Like players who aren't normally confident are playing with confidence. Yeah. 
So it just shows what they can do when they have backing. When, like you say, because like you say, they may they may make a mistake in the first minute that might lead to an opportunity for another team, and they're straight away they think, oh god, I can't make it, I can't do that again. So I'm being literally belittled here. So I think that's you know, I think it's yeah, it's giving those attacking players that freedom to go out there and try something new. Well, it's worth. Well, like, um, and so, so we've, if we again flip this a little bit more, is that sort of the is is the, if the lack of fans is beneficial, you know we we aren't going to be seeing fans in stadiums anytime soon. The government have, or the, the there is a um, petition going round that's over one hundred fifty thousand signatures at the moment. That means that it will qualify for a parliamentary debate, but there doesn't seem to be any. Any sign of, of fans anytime soon, you know, it's starting to become rather ordinary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's. I think it's like. Um, sorry, I said the email. <laughs> it's like I've enjoyed it. Like. Not having fans in, it's just I like I like trying to listen to the players talking, which is which I'm really interested in. Is listening to the players talking on the pitch if you can if you can try and hear them. But I went and watched Horsham, funny enough, with J.K. a couple of weeks ago in the FA Cup. There was not much social distancing going on, but never mind. Um, but it was it was really good to have fans back in the stadiums and. You, the, the worry is these teams. How many of these teams are going to survive the season, paying full wages to players with no income? And I, I saw today actually. I read on the Daily Mail all, all reports um, was that Arsenal are allowing fans into the Emirates to watch their game against Man City, which is clearly Etihad, but they can have a meal and watch it on TV. Why not just sit at home and watch it? Yeah. So I think it's because it's this FA Cup rule, isn't it? As well, elite versus elite, no fans. Elite versus non-elite, no fans. I think elite, non-elite versus non-elite can have fans in. So, but there's no like, a lot of elite teams. You're thinking have probably get the same crowds as non-elite football. Some of them do. Like say, League Two teams probably get what a thousand, two, three thousand fans in the game. Yeah, not far, not far wrong. What's not the harm in, in, te- in, in getting in a thousand fans? Any bit of revenue. Like, I, I do, but then I, I get they're saying it's like, I sometimes don't think it's the, um, it's the fans in the stadiums. They're probably, sometimes you think they're worrying about before the game you go to the pub. It's that travel to the game. It's that mass congestion. But what's the difference in mass congestion on the street and, and walking down the street together? I... Uh, then the, 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 I would say, uh, particularly at say Premier League level, is not allowing away fans in at least in the short term is going to prevent the spread uh, from major city to major well, city. Because uh, you got areas in the north are on lockdown, but how yeah. do you expect to have fans going to their grounds? And, and I think, and I think in that respect, you know, we should respect. Yeah, you know, and, and other European leagues are allowing fans in. 
not everywhere, like Germany has localised lockdowns. So Dortmund had 9,000 fans in at the weekend. But Bayern so Munich have had the last two games. Fans. Yeah. I think we have to... The difference between us and, say, the other uh, European leagues is our pyramid structure is incredibly strong throughout. And we have to support and encourage those teams. Whilst some of them are owned by billionaires, they also, you know, they, they, those pockets aren't bottomless. These clubs aren't necessarily, um, you know, massive profit-making businesses. They are, in effect, small businesses. And, the, yeah. well, the, the government aren't treating them as, well, as such. Boris, oh, Boris, thinks, Boris thinks that if the Premier League's on, that means the football's okay. And it simply doesn't work like that. No, I think what is obviously riling up a lot of people is it's like go to the cinema, save the cinemas when there's not actually anything on at the cinema right now. Um, <laughs> no James Bond, it's been delayed again, so what's the point? Um, but it's like, and I saw the Royal Albert Hall is about to have like three and a half thousand people in an indoor space. So, how can you have that, but you can't have people in a football stadium? And like, it's just it's it's good for non-league clubs coming back, but I find sometimes now like non-league clubs need the money, but they're probably better. They are better businessly business businessly. They are better financially secure than some League Two clubs. Yeah, because of yeah, the income, because of the investment in non-league foot in, in investment in non-league football now. They're obviously, not paying as big a wage. So they've got a bit more, and people want to support their non-league clubs. Look at, like you say, you look at Johnny, and I know you guys have that, that non-league podcast. So there's a much more, there's much more investing in non-league football now. But they're probably better, they're better run than and then League One clubs. I know Charlton have just had loads of trouble. So how will clubs like that handle? They're paying wages about five, six grand a week. Yeah, it's it's depressing. I. Uh, you know, I, I think about this quite a lot at the moment because I, I used to go to quite a lot of Brighton games. Uh, obviously, I went to probably two-thirds of the, the home games in a season. And I do sit there and, and sort of at the moment, I do feel incredibly sort of detached from football. Like not having that experience on a, on a week-to-week basis whereby I guess your, your day is effectively planned around a, a Saturday is incredibly, you know, disheartening. You know, yeah. when we played, you know, every game we played this season, I would have gone to those games at home. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, the Premier League is a global entity mm-hmm. and we, we, we accept it as a global package. But... The, the community football clubs at their core are community-led, community-led businesses. Yeah, and we can't we can't lose sight of that. We as we as football fans kind of need to, I guess, fight for what is right. <laughs> we, we, we need to make a stand. Yeah, I think it's, but unfortunately, <laughs> not to obviously make this political chat, but I think it's obviously. I just don't think this government, I don't think football to a lot of people is lasting on people's minds 
especially people who aren't that interested in football. That's the problem. There's people who aren't interested in football who think it's just bunch of overpaid people, which sometimes I'd agree with. Um, but like they're saying, well, why should people guys go to a football match when we can't do this and that? And I, I'd agree with that. But then at some point, it's a lot of people, men, not mental health, like it's a bit harsh to say mental health, but like you say, a lot of people live for those Saturdays where mm. it brings them together with their family. I know like, obviously with, with regards to hearts, like I've got two uncles up in Edinburgh and one, one lives by himself in Fife and he's been a heart, he's got, he buys every season two heart season tickets. And like when obviously I, I look to go up and stay with him, one's for me, and like he gives them out to like friends, daughter, like friends and family and things like that if they want to come watch the Hearts games. And he does it because he loves the club. And for him, his, his week was just based on going to the Hearts. He would go home and away. And for him, it's like, well, I haven't got, I haven't got, haven't got football to go to. Mm-hmm. And like it was so good. Hearts played their first competitive fixture on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. In seven months, two hundred. So we're technically unbeaten for two hundred and three days, which I'm quite happy about. <laughs> um, so, but I watched it and, and just watching. So obviously, if you've ever seen Hearts on TV when they play at Tynecastle, it's it's a cauldron of noise, and it just feels empty watching that game. It just felt so empty. I love I loved having it back on TV. But all I'm waiting to do is I'm just trying to plan my first trip to Edinburgh to go and watch Hearts play mm-hmm. and watch them hopefully win again, which we're not too sure. Um, but I get I think for fans it's like I, I've I've been lucky. Obviously, I've still been able to coach, but I've actually I took in um, a women's game the other Sunday, which was it was quite a good game to watch. I went and watched Crawley Wasps mm-hmm. and uh, unfortunately lost, but. I'd say that was about five pounds, like six pounds to get in. And, like, you have a Bergen. Really? So it, was, it was good. It was sorry, good. Yeah, sorry, yeah. backtrack here. Brighton women is like two pound entry. How much? Like two pound entry. Yeah, Crawley was the six. Or like three. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, fair enough. I mean, or fine. Three people, I mean, if people are prepared to go, then fair, fair play. Um, it might the, be six pounds. Actually, let, let me have a look. <laughs> I, I sit there and I like the. I think this is, might be a controversial take here, but I think the reason why that the the higher ups and those in government don't care about football at the moment is because the damage is done culturally in the eighties with the hooliganism and the violence. I'd agree with that, and I think that, that is today. a deep set set. Um, a deep set kind of prejudice against the game. And I think that we as, as fans are now paying the price for that. The, uh, the, yeah, at the very least at the moment, they should be opening women's football up fully. Like, like yeah. the, the, the WSL was never banging with attendance, no more than say Horsham or another non-league club. They should be opening that up. Because at the very least, at the very least, they are missing a opportunity for, for for people to engage with women's football. This is a good opportunity at the moment. Where you had all those all those players from the US coming over to play in our league <laughs> this year because there's no football for the for, for for them in the US. So it's like, you know. What a great advert. <laughs> You've literally got a walking billboard for the women's game 
playing every single week, but no one's watching them play. Yeah, I, th- I think as well, though, this is where it's, it's about getting that advocacy about like building up women's football, especially is because people, I don't know, people still look down on women's football, which I, I hate. That um, that why not get the I say you would try and get as many of these fans in so you can actually see that women's football is a, g- a good standard. Yeah, that it's and then, and it, and it helps these clubs thrive, and that's the only way we're ev- we're ever going to get women's football going properly is when fans are allowed into these grounds. Like, and they're just it's like the FA Cup games. It's like. Um, you, at certain levels, you can't have fans in. But it's like, well, this doesn't make sense. And who's it was playing? And they said you can, you can't go into the stadium. You can't be around the pitch to watch it. But you can sit in the bar and watch it on the TV. So yeah. it's happening outside, and you're sat in the bar watching it on TV. What's the point? I can't remember the club, but they also had to black out the window that backs onto the pitch. What is the point? But this is the madness of living with, uh, well, in, in this this world in 2020, which I think might be a pretty good place to end our discussion, I think, as we're fast running out of time. Do you, do you just think, though, December 31st, when it goes to January 1st, 2021, the world should go back to normal and think, ha 2020's over, we're done. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a nice feeling to, to think like that but I am um, uh, or do you think it's the longest April Fool's joke going ever I'd go with that <laughs> I'd go with that it was fairly it, started, yeah. it all kicked off fairly close to April but yeah. you know as, as we've kind of re, uh, we, I guess we can only reiterate here that you know uh, most of these clubs are in effect small businesses and they deserve our support so at whatever point they do open up, I think, you know, it's, it's worth encouraging people. And as we've probably done, as JK and myself would have done on, on the other podcast that we're involved with, the, um, the Premier Non-League podcast, you yeah, know, subtle plug. Um, <laughs> that if, you, if, you, if you get an opportunity to go and, and support and, and, and help line the coffers of those, those teams that desperately need your, your money to survive, then it's definitely worth doing, regardless of whether you're a fan of the team or not. Yeah, no, I agree. No, I do. As I have listened to it, I, I listened to it on my walks with Basil. Oh. Uh, I, well, I wasn't so, featured in the first official episode because my my current joyless existence of working the COVID test site um, uh, allowed me to, to miss it, unfortunately. Um, can't do much about that. Um, you know, Bloody such as. Well, such is my unemployed lifestyle, mate. I haven't got a choice. I haven't got a choice. I blame the pandemic. I blame the pandemic. Hence the infrequent nature of these podcasts and perhaps the slightly more unstructured nature of these podcasts. <laughs> but I think that in the, uh, in the foreseeable future, we will be resuming a regular, our regular scheduled programming, um, perhaps less structured on uh, particular games, but perhaps more focused on talking points and and things that we're finding interesting on a week by week basis agree so i guess on that note i guess it's you know um, as always if you like uh, this podcast like share subscribe tell your mates get a balloon or something in the sky with it with the advert with an advert um 
And also feel free to check out the Premier Non-League podcast, which the, the first official episode had an interview with Ashley Williams, which is well worth checking out. Um, again. And Mark Letizio. And Mark Letizio, yes. I, I, was, I didn't forget that part. Um, I, I, was more, I was more trying to define what the listeners might find most interesting. <laughs> so I guess on that note... Until until next week, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Carl. Goodbye, everyone. Take care. Ciao.